0: It a, it's a wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, what an amazing thing that we can gather together the family of God. It doesn't matter whether we live in Chicago or we live in Pecatonica. We can uh, come together as a family of God and worship the one God who saves. Uh, Christy and I, uh, my wife, uh, stand up. I'm sorry. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to embarrass you. No. Yeah. And, and my wife and I, were traveling on the other side of the world, and it's amazing that you can sit down and you can worship with people that are speaking multiple different languages, but they come together for one purpose, to give glory to God, for the greatness of God, that for His grace and the hope that He gives us, which is a hope that is beyond anything we deserve. By God's grace, He created us. By God's grace, He gave us hope. By God's grace, Grace, he gives us more than anything we could ever imagine on earth, and he gives us a view of heaven to come, and he has revealed that to us through his precious word, and we are given access to that hope by his amazing grace, and we sang together as one family. And so it's with that that I want to challenge you in this message this morning not to get behind missionaries, but to be missional yourself. I want to talk to you about the amazing grace of God and how we need to be displaying the image of God among all creation. You see, I was visiting, Christy and I were visiting a, a small church in Kentucky, and it was a, a back in the middle of nowhere, and we were visiting, and they asked us to stand in front of the church, and a small little boy came to the front of the church. He had no shirt on, and he had coveralls, and he walked up And he looked at me and kind of cocked himself sideways, and he looked down at my feet, and he was looking up at me, gave me about two or three, and he says, okay, well, I wondered what a missionary looked like. And then then he departed and headed out of the church. When I look back on that, I actually felt terrible. Um, I don't don't mean uh, to say anything, even in contradiction to the video you saw this morning. What I want to say is, my hero is Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that I am just one of the followers just like you. And when that boy looked at me, if he saw me, I failed. If he sees Jesus Christ and he turns and wants to follow him, then victory goes to God. And I want to show you in this PowerPoint, and hopefully that comes up pretty soon, I want to, I want to tell you about who we are as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you about that. And as we go through it, I'm going to take you through Scripture. So please have your Bibles ready. Uh, I don't want to call it Bible aerobics, but we're going to to run through a few things. I want to talk to you about what it means to live life on mission because, you know, we were created in the image of God, but everything the world throws at us is an opportunity to conform to the humanism and to the sin that we are. There's, There's pressure to conform that comes with peer pressure, any one of you guys that are uh, that have any memory of, of high school or college in the world around us there 's great pressure to conform when i 'm preaching, that usually happens, and so there 's apathy there 's this pressure of apathy where we can just say, "Life is comfortable, life is easy," and we pass that on. And then then there's the, the challenge of the satisfaction of emotion. We are creatures of satisfaction, and not only do we seek comfort, but we seek out ways to make ourselves feel good. Uh, it's all about entertainment. In fact, often in the church, people will date the church looking for a congregation that makes them feel good about themselves. And if you are a faithful preacher like Pastor Mike is who is preaching the Word of God, conviction will come on your heart. Praise God when it does because you will turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we need more of that. But regretfully, there's a lot of that out there. So if you were walking down the street, would they see Christ in you Would they see Jesus or would they see you? When you're walking down the street, who do you display? Paul gives this advice uh, to Timothy. He gives this advice in 2 Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words. And this idea of pattern is is one of prototype, as if you are chiseling out a representative uh, case of that Which Paul explains, he says, follow the pattern of sound words you have heard from me, and in faith. out of the way. Love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul turns to Timothy and says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and God has set you to be his image among all creation. So he turns to Timothy and he says, the biggest advice I can give you is to display Christ among the nations. When I talk to you about the stories in the next few minutes, these are people who are living in hostile environments who are displaying Christ. And because they're displaying Christ, they come under persecution. Because they're displaying Christ, they lose family. Because they're displaying Christ, they lose the comforts. And when you talk to them, they say, glory, hallelujah, because I have the hope of heaven before me and I need nothing else. These are the heroes. These are the heroes of faith that are out there. These are the people who were claiming to follow Jesus Christ under the days of communism, and because they followed Jesus Christ, they were denied a college education, they were denied their life, they were denied a career, they were denied comforts, and they yet they would gather around a shortwave radio to listen to broadcasts of the Bible from Monte Carlo. They said that the Soviet Union had an iron curtain, but it didn't have a roof. And through shortwave radio, they would have these broadcasts. Would you still come to this church on Sunday morning if there were protesters outside with guns and they came to you and said, we will take your family and you will never see them again. And you say, okay, I will walk away. Or will you come up and say, you will never steer me away from Jesus Christ. What if it cost you prison in a gulag that was filled with with tuberculosis and pain and suffering. It's interesting, this quote from Hudson Taylor, all of our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of His grace, power, and love. You see, a lot of times we, in our comfortable living, when things get difficult in our life, when we deal with loss and tragedy and persecution and frustration, we shake our fist at God and say, how could you do this to me? And God says, you don't understand. I take this broken clay pot and shine the glory of my gospel through your broken life. And when tragedy comes into your life, that's the exact medicine God uses to make sure that he's being displayed and not you and God creates these situations for his glory. If you knew that baptizing meant that you could never go home to your family again because they would beat you and want to kill you, would you walk out into the waters? And this is a public lake. There's a bar off to the right here. Everyone's watching on a beach as this young Tajik girl walks out into the lake, and she's baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is blasphemy to the Muslim people. Would you so do this? I'm sorry. Are you willing to go into another country and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to share your heart and your faith? No matter what the cost. You see, let me quickly give you what the source of the problem is and I'm going to take you back to Genesis because you have this really cool creation uh, museum downstairs so we got to always come back to Genesis. Genesis 127 says that God was saying let us create them man and woman in the image of God. God created us to display his image among all creation. God seeks his glory and he is glorified as he is imaged in you. You see, there was a little bit of confusion in the garden in Genesis 3, and there were two temptations. And let me tell you, my friends, these are the same temptations we struggle with today. The first one is doubt. Did God actually say? The Bible is constantly under attack, and one of the greatest tools this world does is it tries to unseat our faith in Jesus Christ with doubt. And you hear people say, God didn't really say. If you wonder about the Islamic movement. It has a lot of scripture, what we know as the Holy Bible in it, and it's got everything else. Because Muhammad said the Christians contorted the word of God, and his job was to set it right. God didn't actually say these things, and he had to fix it. And a lot of times we turn to things that are rather cultic, and they flow from a doubt that God really said. And then secondly, the desires of the heart. Satan goes and tempts us and says, God knows if you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so we have these these issues of of doubt and humanism, and they are the threats that we have today. These are these threats that make it very difficult for us to follow after God. But just to give you a quick history, uh, Rene Descartes, who who is, is known really as the father of modern philosophy, said, I think, therefore I am. And what he was trying to do was point to the existence of God from a philosophical point of view, but what he ended up doing was moving uh, the authority for truth into the hands of the interpreter or the person. The truth is relative to the beholder, and not only is he the father of, of, of philosophy, but he is also the father of modernism that moved into age and reason, and then we have our scary guy, Mr. Darwin, that said, not only is God not sovereign over t- truth, he's not sovereign over nature, that there was a great lightning bolt that came down into a pond of scum, and, and out of it crawled uh, life that somehow developed three billion lines of genetic code and formed into a human being and somehow uh, developed into... Um, the people we saw today, which we know scientifically now, is not a possibility. We know that from the evidence that it isn't there. But if you don't believe that there is a God, you'll grasp at anything to set that straight. But what happened was, first, the church was rocked by the fact that people were beginning to think that, that God is not sovereign over truth. And then they were rocked to say, God is not sovereign over truth nature and then they were rocked in 1908 with Sigmund Freud that said we are merely uh, victims of the world around us and so God is not only sovereign over tr- not sovereign over truth he's not sovereign over nature he is not sovereign over the soul and then if the church understands that it is not sovereign over all these that God is not sovereign over these things then what are we going to do to save lost lives And you'll see that what happens is we lose track of that, and we begin thinking that we people need to somehow help God out in mission. In 1944, you see an expansion of the parachurch movement, And, and I want to be really careful because SGA is a parachurch, and I am not complaining about these movements, but I want to state something, that often what we've done in all those spheres, is we begin to pass on the Great Commission to professionals, and then we get comfortable that someone else is doing the Great Commission. And maybe that's two or three, and I go to college campuses, and there's two or three kids that want to be involved in missionary work, and the rest of them are taking Bible school, and I said, what, when's the last time you crossed the street for that person across the street that's distant from God? And they said, what do you mean? I am in the pastoral department or I am in the Christian education department. I said no, if you're saved by the grace of God, you're in the evangelism department. And that's who you are. But very often you see this migration over the last couple hundred years where people have moved away of seeing the church as responsible for the mission of Jesus Christ and we have allowed this erosion to occur. These guys these old guys are from the late 1800s, and they're part of something called the Life Saving Station. They are all up and down the East Coast. And all up and down the East Coast are these places where they would work together. These are volunteers. And they would walk the beach looking for ships that were going under. And see, when these ships were going down, they would yell what? Save our souls. S-O-S. Save our souls. And these men would walk the beach looking for lost souls. And there was never enough of them. They built more and more of these buildings. And then just after the turn of the century in the early 1900s, they incorporated this life-saving work into the Coast Guard. And what happened? All the volunteers stopped. They only left it to the professionals. And the life-saving would continue on as a professional act. Okay, in your Bibles, I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I want you to see something, and then we're going to launch into the Word of God and some stories that illustrate the points that I want to talk to you about. You see, we need to be a people who do not pass on the life-saving mission to the professionals. We need to be a group of people who are the church. We are the church who lives life on mission for the sake of the gospel. Luke 9 verse 23 is one you've heard before. Jesus said these words, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there's three quick things I want you to look at. The idea of denying self is to lay down your thoughts. Deny the issues of thinking. This is, this is denying doubt and question. This is laying down your thought processes of what you think you know and understand and, and trust in, in God alone, and secondly, it says, take up your cross. You're laying down selfish feelings and selfish ambitions, and you're counting your life as lost for the sake of the gospel. So this is a this is a turning away from yourself. This is laying down selfish humanistic ambitions and following Me. And the picture of the word there in the Greek "akoloutheo" for follow. Is not just getting in line behind Christ and following Him, but it's taking on the mantle of the Master. This is taking on the responsibility of the Master that as Christ spoke, you speak. As Christ lived, you lived. So what I want you to do is I want, to, want you to see this is the cure for the common Christian cold. The common Christian cold is apathy and humanism and selfishness. I have my get out of hell free card, so I'm going to just put it in my pocket and I'm going to go on with my life. Well, this is not what Christ calls us to. So I want to walk you through a few things that sets this right. So now flip to Mark chapter 2 and you're going to see the calling of Levi or the calling of Matthew. See, Mark chapter 2 is an amazing passage. It is a story in which God reaches out, and, and yes, Jesus is God, and God reaches out and calls Matthew into service. Of all the people that Jesus could think of, he could have gone to the most highly educated, the most religiously trained, the top-notch, but what he does is he seeks Matthew, who's sitting in a tax booth robbing other people of their money, people Would good Jewish people would reject Matthew as a terrible guy and Jesus? You see here in verse thirteen, he went out behind beside the sea and the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by and he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And what an amazing statement that passage is. Don't miss that. Matthew, by standing up from his tax booth, lost his money. He lost his job. He lost his reputation because the minute he got up, someone else was going to move into the tax booth behind him. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. He denied himself. He took up his cross and began to follow Jesus Christ. It was an earth-shattering move by Matthew. So Matthew hears these words, akalatheo in the Greek, uh, that are said by Jesus, and he picks up and he begins to follow after Jesus to learn his ways, and look what happens. He found a small group to get involved in, and he went out and bought Christian t-shirts. You're supposed to laugh, that's not what Matthew did. I'm helping you out. The coffee's going to kick in at one point. It's doing well for me right now. I'm doing all right. Uh, so you look, you look there at, at verse 15. He reclined at the table of the this of house, many tax collectors and sinners. And by the way, it's not like these people were the only sinners. The sinners in this context are prostitutes. They are uh, drunkards. These are people that are robbers and thieves and and all the big sins. And you say to yourself, I've never committed those sins. Well, guess what? You're still a sinner. Uh, And these are the guys that were the major sinners, okay? And so the religious experts of the days are looking through this little adobe house window. And and they're seeing uh, that uh, in verse 16, the scribes of the Pharisees saw him eating uh, with sinners and tax collectors and says, What's this, paraphrase, what's this crazy rabbi doing? Because a rabbi would never do such a thing. And they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus heard it. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so we see Matthew who gave up all for the sake of following Christ. And the first thing that Matthew does is bring sinners into his home to tell them about Jesus Christ. Up in the right corner is Pavel Nino. He was a heroin addict, and he was living in an abandoned building searching for dogs for food so he could take the money to score more heroin. And then Sergey Kozin on the right is a pastor who went into an abandoned building and started looking for people, and he led Pavel to Christ, and when he led Pavel to Christ, he 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 was saved miraculously. There was no special program. They start. He I mean he was right away detoxing from heroin. And when he did, at his front door was a knock, and they had left him bread. And there was a little kid at the front door who was hungry, and he shared some of his bread. And then the next day, two kids came. And the next day, four kids, and then six kids, and it continued on. And what ended up happening was the launching of a, a ministry to over sixty kids that were in this abandoned building, and he fed them every day, and there's kids that have been baptized, and there's kids that have gone on to do ministry. And so God's plan was to take a heroin addict and save him miraculously by God's grace and make him a children's ministry leader. And you know what that cost Pavel? Jail time, because he was telling the gospel to some forgotten kids that the Muslim people thought were living under a curse. You see, Pavel didn't leave and go to a place of comfort. He stayed there in the abandoned building, rescuing the souls of men. I want you to continue on now that we journey from Tashkent. We go north uh, to Ust which is the northwest corner of Kazakhstan. And, and Mirza, who's in the upper left corner there, and his wife live in this town that time has forgotten. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 9.36-38. through 38. And that's a passage. It's a great missionary passage. You see, Christ was out in verse 35. You see that Jesus went out through all the cities and the villages, uh, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing diseases. And every affliction, in other words, testifying to what he was preaching in his deity. And then verse 36, when he saw, and the word saw means to look and perceive, not just visually see that there were people in need, but perceive the need and to really understand it. And when he understood the need, the spiritual lostness, He had compassion, and the word compassion is splankna, which is deep down inside, and he had this pity in his heart, and and biblical pity moves us to action. It is not saying, I'm sorry for you, be well and blessed. It is, oh, my heart breaks. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to help you and and take care of you, because he looked upon them, and they were harassed and helpless, and this idea of harassed, Is that your skin is barren and and, and it hurts to the touch and helpless is like a baby? Um, Anyone that knows of a one-month-old baby that can feed itself? Yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, that was this is the Greek word. He looked upon the people and said they have no capacity to help themselves. Zero, none. They are hurting. They can't help themselves. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And he turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here, Mirza was a drug addict in Yakutia, which is above the Arctic Circle in eastern Russia. He comes to faith. He moves to this completely forgotten town that no one cares about. And he goes in the middle middle of this and he begins preaching the Lord Jesus Christ and he finds families that are suffering and without sustenance and they can barely survive. And he makes a choice that he and his wife will live in a broken home with no indoor plumbing, no indoor heating, no indoor uh, water supply. And he lives in that building and he, he has cultivated his entire yard into a garden. Because he said there's at least 15 families that will let him walk through the front door, and he brings them food, and he talks to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Mirza is not a highly educated man. He is not a, uh, the, 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 the one that everyone would have gone for, but God went for this man and put him in that village, and he saw a lost and hurting world. And when I asked him, I said, why don't you get a job? Why don't you get a job so that you can improve the way you live? And he says, because if I spend eight hours a day plus a couple hours commute going to the job, then I cannot visit these families every day and tell them about the life-saving gospel. In his mind, we don't know how much longer these people are going to live. And if I don't reach them now with the gospel, who will? I'm satisfied living the life that I'm living. I'm sorry. And so we have the makings of lifesavers. We, we have people that are willing uh, to do the ministry, to have a compassion for the loss, but we have to do something that's even more challenging than that. We have to be willing to swim out into the storm. You see, if you have a life saving station on the beach, and imagine you've got three of them and you've got one over here with neon signs and, and entertainment and amusement rides and a little kitty bounce house in the back. And then you have one in the middle that looks perfect and polished and clean and wonderful and everything's organized. And you have one over here. Um, that uh, has a little smoke coming out the chimney and it looks like a Thomas Kincaid photo and it's all warm and inviting and comfy. You have all these versions of stations and you've got someone out in the cold stormy water downing It doesn't matter what your station looks like. It matters whether the people are going to swim out into the storm and rescue people. You see, in America, we spend far too much time worrying about what our church looks like to others when what God wants is he wants the church to be out among the harvest. And we need to spend more time being these lifesavers. Tamara Bezerob's in the striped shirt. Her husband was a missionary church planner, But 12 years ago, as he was praying in his church, a Muslim, a conservative Muslim uh, extremist, poked a machine gun in the window and, 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 and shot her husband dead. Her response to them slaying her husband is that she gave her life to ministering to lost and broken women. There in that room, and you can see there, and uh, Christy was speaking to these women only last week, there are women that were gathered, some their eyes black and blue from being beaten, some of them with Muslim husbands that won't allow their children to be raised as Christians, some who were dealing with drunkenness, some that were dealing with poverty, all these broken lives looking for answers. And God took a person like Tamara who said, I will give my life to swim out into the storms of their lives. Quickly look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. And I want you to look at two things on it. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And again, Jesus was speaking uh, to basically the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling because Jesus, again, was reaching out to the lost and hurting of this world, the tax collectors and the sinners. And he told the parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, which would be a rich person if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. You see, here's the problem. If you have a hundred sheep, you're a very wealthy person. Maybe you have a hundred dollars in your pocket and you lose a buck and you don't care about it because you've got $99. Well, this rich person has a hundred sheep. And one gets lost. and what he does is with urgency, leaves all the rest of the sheep in open country and runs looking for this smelly, stinking, rebellious lost sheep. And you see this person goes running for this lost sheep and it may take days and imagine that you're into the into your work day, you're tired, you're worn out. What is this lost sheep thinking? I've taught this sheep to stay near the fold. I've given it all my attention. Why is this sheep wandering off? But no, this person goes off and the shepherd loves his sheep. He loves the sheep and he can't wait to find the sheep. And finding this 75 pound sheep, he puts this sheep up on his shoulder, this stinking sheep. And he's already tired and he walks with this sheep all the way back to the fold and out of the love for the sheep he sets this sheep down among the other sheep and then the most amazing thing happens after finding the sheep you see in in uh, verse 6 he comes back to home and he calls all his friends together and his neighbors and says to them rejoice for me For I have found my sheep that was lost, just so I tell you there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous, read that as self-righteous, that need no repentance. And see, the issue here is this man wasn't anything other than motivated by love. And when he gathered in that lost sheep, he wanted to celebrate He didn't give that sheep time out. He didn't throw it away. He didn't say that sheep was worthless, not worthy my time, and focus on the 99 out of love. He went for that lost sheep, and he found it, and he brought it back. Just like Tamara looks at all these ladies that seem to be forgotten by the world, and she loves them, and she gives her life for them. You see, we have to be willing to swim into the storms of people's lives. Uh, We live in a messy world with a lot of difficulties and a lot of trials and a lot of people struggling with addictions, a lot of people struggling with abuse, a lot of people... Who think they've heard the gospel and they don't understand and they're struggling with doubt and difficulty and and they are, are lost and they're drowning in their sin and we can't just be concerned about the banners in our church we have to be concerned that they are set right with God and we have to go out from the comfortable beach that we live on swim out into the waters of life and love them so much that we take them upon our back and we carry them to the shore and once we bring them to the shore we do a little bit further we celebrate because that heroic act of saving a life that was lost means that one is snatched away from the fires and glory is given to God and we have to live in that way. And then we have to tell all of what Jesus done and I'm running out of time so I won't go into great detail on this one but if you turn to um, if you turn to uh, Mark chapter 5 verse 20 it's a story of the demoniac. And I want to show you briefly what's happening here. This is Idar, the guy with the tie on. He was a kid that was actually thrown out of orphanages and they said live on the street because he was getting in fights with all the kids. And no one wanted him around. Natasha, she's suffering from breast cancer, she can barely move in the morning. She gets up in the morning to make seven pies. She goes out where all the homeless boys and girls live in the sewers. And she takes the pies out and offers to feed them so that she can reach them. She's in Ufa, Bashkortostan, which is a Muslim republic inside the country of Russia. And she goes out there, and the police tell her to get lost, and the people... Uh, don't support her and she goes home and she makes her pies and food and she goes out and talks to these kids and idar is someone that the entire system had given up on but she kept going out and she kept going out and idar uh, came to faith he was a 16 years old when he came to faith and you know what he did he became a preacher Uh, The pastor taught him Bible exposition and became a preacher. He now ministers in those seven locations. He now preaches in the church, and he goes looking for lost souls. He wasn't a highly dedicated or or highly educated young man, but he was a young man with a story that said, I was lost, and now I'm found, just like the demon-possessed man in 520. Uh, in Mark 5 20 he was saved from an incredible life of destruction and he turned to Jesus in his right mind and said I wanted to go with you and hang out with all the Christians and Jesus said no go back and tell all your friends what I have done for you you see Jesus didn't need a professional he needed followers of Jesus Christ that would say here I am use me and you could move on from that and then finally this was just a couple of days ago in Tajikistan, we were up in Hujan in the northern province, and Sofer was there on the left, and he is a pastor that went out into a small village, and after arriving in the village, uh, some boys from the local Muslim mosque saw that Christians were there, and at the time they had heard about, you remember the in France, when they had the cartoon about Islam and and the shooting that occurred, well, they wanted to take it out on him in the village. So his his uh, son came in, and his son was pulled off to the side, and all the kids beat him into just nothing. And he came in and his father was cleaning him up. And just after that, his daughter came in and they beat up his daughter. And just after that, rocks are coming through the window and they want him out of the village and they don't want him there. Of all the places you want to plant a church, why plant a church where everyone wants you gone? Because that's exactly where God put you. And in this case, God put him there to be a witness of the gospel and actually Igor is the one that goes up with Tamara to minister uh, to the ladies in that area as well as children because the children have nowhere to go. And so God raised up these people and in Acts chapter 11 verses 19 to 20, it's the story of those after uh, the stoning of Stephen who had found their way uh, into Antioch where they were first called Christians, and it was there they went into the synagogues, and there they went into talking to the Greek-speaking Jews or the Hellenists, and it was there that the gospel went forward. In other words, they were persecuted, which is why they left their home, and when they arrived at the new location, they did the one thing that caused them the greatest amount of hardship. How many of you, if standing for Christ would cost you your whole home, will go to the next location where you live and start doing it again? That's what these guys did. So wherever God places you is where God calls you to be a witness for the sake of the gospel. And and that's how this works. It's an amazing story of God's grace where God calls us out of darkness into the marvelous light. He sets us apart to be his workers in the harvest. Not only that, he sets us apart with great love and truth to wade into the storms of people's lives. And we do that by telling a lost and hurting world what Jesus has done for us. And where do we do it? Wherever God places us. So certainly God pulled me away from the space program. I left that behind to become a pastor in a small church in Pecatonica. Let me tell you, growing up in high school, I I dreamed of going to space. I did not dream of a of Pecatonica and, and and being in a small video. I love you guys, but that wasn't one of my dreams, okay? And and what I know is that God has us there. And then I take Christy, who is the modern version of Ma Ingalls, and I, I take her to the other side of the world, and she says, I feel like I'm in a James Bond movie. Where where have you taken me? And there she is presented with a bunch of lost and hurting ladies that God has most perfectly equipped her to reach. Whether you are traveling to the other side of the world or you're now walking across the street and going home, God has you where he needs you to be. He needs you to do two things. Lay down, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And then secondly, tell your friends what God has done for you. Tell the world how great Jesus is. And if you are not doing that, if you are stuck on yourself, I would challenge you to repent of that and turn and follow Christ. If you feel that you're following Christ, but you're doing it in your own comfortable zone, cast off the shackles of apathy and live for Christ alone. He can use you today. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing mercy and grace, and we we pray that Lord, you would use this church here, Rivers Edge, as well as as the church here, you would uh, Christian Fellowship Church, you would you would use our churches for your glory. That we would not just be bound by this building, but we would be set free by the grace upon grace that you have given us. Pour into our hearts your truth, that we may be ready to be witnesses wherever you place us in whatever condition. For you alone, Father, deserve all the glory. And we pray all this in your Son and our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.